0: Welcome to What The If. I'm Philip Shane here, your host and guide and uh, safety, safety warden. That can only mean that my partner here is uh, dangerous. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or at least not OSHA approved.
0: That's right. It should be approached with caution. <laughs> Matt Stanley from uh, New York University. How are you, sir?
1: I am Right. I have a coffee roll this morning. That improves my mood somewhat. What is a coffee roll? Oh, you know, the Danish type thing. Oh. Oh, yes. Occasionally, I'll let myself stop for the uh, uh, the food carts in between home and the office.
0: Those are noble citizens, by the way, the guys who run those, so.
1: Seriously, right? Can you imagine packed into one of those little things for hours every day?
0: It's incredible. There's one guy, and I think it is near you, near your office over there in NYU, in beautiful Washington Square, Greenwich Village, who makes bacon. Like, I smell bacon coming out of one of those little... Nice. I don't know how he does it. Man, if I was uh, stuffed in one of those little carts
1: with bacon all day... (laughs) Suggesting there wouldn't be any bacon left after a little while?
0: Speaking of food... (laughs) (laughs) What an if we have today! Holy moly, holy moly! This one comes uh, from a celebrity, a legend, Robin Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that would be fun. Let me see, let me talk to Brad. Let me see if I can get him on this.
1: <laughs> if it has any suggestions, yeah, I would uh, actually
0: Tarantino would be amazing. Can you imagine if we did We we need to do this in Tarantino. Tarantino would
1: have some interesting ifs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he
0: sure would. Based on some crazy B-movies. This comes from a celebrity named Robin Miller. And that's Robin with a Y. Hmm. Miller. And he is famous for being one of the co-creators of a game called Myst that also has a Y in it. You know what? I, In 25 years <laughs> of that game existing, I have, this is the first time I'm noticing that. Which is good. I, uh, um, small plug for a future Kickstarter that's coming down the road to make. I am making a documentary about Myst, about the history of Myst, and, uh, the incredible story of these, uh, two brothers and some friends who started this game working in a double wide trailer in the woods outside of Spokane, Washington, and suddenly had uh, the most popular video game for 12 years. Wow. It's an incredible story, Mist. So Robin Miller is, uh, if you know Mist, Robin is the uh, one of the creators, and uh, he's the composer of all the music. And, and the music, uh, if you know Mist, the music, the ambiance is a huge part of it, and, and that's Robin. He is also a filmmaker and uh, continues to compose music and do all kinds of cool things. And uh, so I've been making this documentary. I've been out there with uh, Robin in, uh, in Seattle, on and off and while we were chatting about what the if robin asked me a good one it was in the form of a question it's kind of a jeopardy thing here robin said how does the matrix the movie the matrix in the matrix how does the matrix
1: use people as batteries so sorry spoiler alert (laughs) (laughs) If if you have not seen the matrix yet
0: yeah but frankly, you don't need to. It's a little bit of a MacGuffin. So, uh, yeah. How the, so, the Matrix is a uh, enormous
1: alien-run simulated world. Yeah. Rob- Robot-run, anyway. I don't know if they're, strictly speaking, aliens. Oh, interesting. I didn't realize that. Yeah. They are so bio. They look so
0: biological, those robots. So, right, right. And there's the architect who appears to be human. Who created the Matrix? Somebody is using all the people. Is it all the people in the world? We don't know.
1: Um, most of the people, anyway. Right? There's a, a few, uh, a, a few freedom fighters, um, uh, led by uh, Lawrence Fishburne, if I remember right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And in um,
0: in the sequels, we kind of meet more of those people. Uh,
1: Yeah, no need to speak of the sequels, I think. Oh, Um, all right. right. The the, the Matrix does very well by itself, um, and I think more more poorly with its sequels attached to it. I enjoyed the further exploration of those people who live outside, but yeah. Um, But yes, I think the backstory is um, humans uh, make AI, make robots. The robots revolt, as they are wont to do, um, and win and then the robots enslave humanity by using us as uh, as a power source uh, and then keep us all keep our consciousnesses going in this uh, virtual world and that that is the eponymous matrix i believe that's the the backstory yeah
0: right so for some reason we need to be entertained while we are used as batteries or maybe that's what generates the energy we
1: we have exciting adventures in our minds and that gives us more energy? I don't know. Well, this is kind of what we need to, to figure out today, I think. Is, um, yeah, so if, if we were a hostile machine intelligence that wanted to <laughs> enslave humanity, what might be a good way to go about doing it? This is interesting, actually.
0: I, I have not heard a lot of discussion uh, uh, from this angle. What if we, we look at The Matrix, the movie The Matrix, from the point of view of the robots, that's kind of cool, or 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 whoever runs the robots.
1: It's definitely the robots are are self-running. I think. self-running. Okay, right. Yeah. What the if?
0: We could use people as batteries. Yep. Let's start. Let's start small. Let's start small. I just know all too little about this. Considering that uh one of the subjects I studied in college was electrical engineering <laughs> I've forgotten all of this all here, let me start with this in in terms of using a living thing as a battery, a potato
1: apparently ah uh, yeah, can light a lamp. what's going on there? yeah, that's right so if um actually, I don't know if kids do this anymore once upon a time, the classic science fair project was. The, the potato battery, in which you um, plug some some wires into a, a battery, then uh, into a battery into a potato, generates a low level uh, voltage, which you can then use to run something like uh, I think a clock was the the classic thing you you did with the uh, with the potato. So the potato, the potato battery is actually pretty similar to. The regular, what you think of as kind of the regular battery, like the AA cell or the C cell, those little cylindrical ones, and the important features there is some acid and some metal, and the acid um, pulls electrons out of the metal. Okay. The acid,
0: the acid pulls the. Okay, so the acid, an acid that you're saying is in the potato
1: well that's right so the potato is itself acidic Uh aha okay Uh, but like if you cut open a c-cell and i should say don't do this because it's full of acid okay yeah okay um you would see not not the good kind of acid which you shouldn't be doing anyway that's right definitely don't under no circumstances (laughs) lick the battery yeah oh although haven't we all (laughs) haven't we all i mean that's just good life advice generally yeah um uh, you would see these sandwiched uh, layers of acid and metal. Okay. Um, so, and actually, the the word battery refers to these multiple layers. So it's an old military term, right? A, a battery is a group of guns put together, like cannons. Right, an artillery battery. And technically, sort of one unit of an electrical battery is a voltaic cell. One unit. Okay, so uh, yeah, this is that's interesting. By the way, because like I always thought
0: it went the other way around, but of course that doesn't make sense if you know anything about history.
1: It's odd that. Yeah. So, so the 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 original the very early electrical batteries looked like a bunch of cannons lined up next to each other because they were cylindrical. So they were named. It was called a battery because it looked like an artillery piece. In fact, in New
0: York, the tip of Manhattan, the lower tip mm-hmm. is called. Uh, there is Battery Park. Right. It has nothing to do with Tesla or Edison. No. That's right. <laughs> it is because there there were cannons there,
1: I suppose. Yeah. A bunch right. of cannons. Okay. So the the basic principle that makes a typical electric battery work is you've got this acid and you've got the metal, and the interaction between the two liberates a bunch of electrons. And then we grab those electrons and siphon them off for our own purposes. We grab the electrons, okay? Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. siphon so them a... off. This starts to sound like the Matrix already. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's right. It's sort of a clever arrangement of wires. Uh, you can siphon those electrons off, and that's uh, and that works pretty well. So essentially, what you're doing there is you're capturing the chemical energy being liberated by the acid and turning it into electrical energy, which is pretty cool. Chemical energy being coming from The way the uh, Uh, the way the actual yeah molecules are arranged and interact with each other, and they let their electrons go. Yeah, the 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 acids kind of rip the electrons out. Yeah. Wow.
0: And the battery now, interestingly, you you say battery is like a a a bunch of cannons. Is that because, like, when I think of a single battery, you're not saying there's a battery inside there.
1: No. So when you think of one battery, like a double A cell, is actually my guess would be dozens of individual acid-metal interacting surfaces. So it's kind of a sandwich, uh, a multi-layer sandwich of metal and acid, all stacked together and rolled up. That's that. Speaking of food, that just sounds delicious. <laughs> Don't uh, again. I must reiterate: do not do anything with the batteries and your mouth. Do not eat them. Do not lick them. But if you go to one of the great, the classic
0: historic delis in New York, and I know Los Angeles has some, and I'm sure Chicago does as well. But uh, for instance, the 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 now lost Carnegie Deli in uh, Midtown Manhattan was legendary for those enormous sandwiches. I think they even had a sandwich called The Tower or something. But basically, <laughs> it was just all kinds of, you know, between two pieces of rye bread an insane amount of different kinds of sliced meat, cold cuts basically. Wow. Corn
1: beef, pastrami. Yeah, Sliced nice and thin, right?
0: Yeah. Sliced nice and thin but then
1: literally stacked up like a foot high. <laughs> oh my god. Yes. Good luck eating that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um so so let's see here. so that so that's the classic chemical battery and they have a certain amount of energy in them because the energy comes from the interaction of the acid and the metal. And as those two things interact, the molecules in question get used up, right? So after a while, there's no more acid left to interact with the, the battery, uh, with, the, with the metal. Um, and that's why your battery goes dead. That's interesting, actually. Right? And that acid is basically just eating away the metal. That's exactly right. Like
0: literally... Just converting it
1: to energy. Uh, some some crud. Yeah, if you've ever seen that green crud that uh, accumulates on really old batteries, that's what's left over from the acid metal reaction. Oh right. Okay, that's the waste product, like yeah. nuclear waste or something. Um, but you can but you can make batteries out of lots of different things. So nowadays, chemical batteries are getting replaced by. Uh, lithium batteries, which uses sandwiches of metal to store electrical energy, like the the your phone has a, a lithium battery in it, and that doesn't have a chemical reaction going on in it the way a D cell does. Uh, rather, um, it has layers of metal. That don't interact chemically, but if you pump electrons into that battery, it will store the electrons in a useful way. Ah, oh, So they are <clears throat> when
0: you're when those are charged in the mm-hmm. factory, I suppose, they are being their energy
1: is pumped into those lithium batteries. Yeah. Well, that's what happens every day when you plug in your phone to recharge it. You're pumping energy. Oh, of course, into the lithium there. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah. And it's just metal, just different kinds of metal. That's right. And then this this sort of this complicated quantum mechanical thing goes on where the electrons get stored in a useful way. Oh, it's a quantum electrical thing. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Your whole
1: your whole phone is a quantum mechanical device. Yeah. Wow. But even specifically, the battery is using quantum mechanics to store this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anything that anything where electrons are zipping around is, is quantum mechanical. Why do they explode? Oh, because lithium is a crazy metal. It's, uh, it's an extremely reactive metal that um, will basically explode if you shout out it too loud. <laughs> so if it, if, it, if it gets to interact with just about anything, it'll go up. So you may remember like high school chemistry experiments where if you just throw lithium in water, it explodes. Right, Uh, so it's just basically a fantastically reactive material. So the real trick with lithium batteries is getting to them them to the point where they will not regularly explode. Wow! So it's a little bit. I mean, there's some nuclear power
0: esque thing there, where it sounds like a runaway sort of a runaway
1: process can be started. It's just uh, well, I mean, it's chemical instead of nuclear, Um, but yeah, it's just really reactive. Um, So just watch out for for lithium.
0: I, there were those uh, phones, Samsung phones. And yeah. then there was also something else like
1: I think was it vaping some kind of thing. anyway. But I should say this is generally the pro- this, is, this is one of the basic problems of energy storage is that you want to pack as much energy into one place when you're storing it because then you get more energy. But the problem is that lots of energy in one place often creates things like fires and explosions too so you've got to figure out how to store that stuff in the in a stable way right um because like for instance you know gasoline has a lot of electricity or electric a lot of energy per unit mass but you don't want to carry it around in your pocket because it burns and explodes really easily right so there's this, this kind of balance you need to strike in terms of energy storage between stability and quantity. We're going to go from potatoes to people.
0: Right. Skip everything in between.
1: Yep. Right. So, so if you want to use, um, if you want to get electricity out of a person. And we all do. We all do. Your Your options are limited, let us say, because you are not a potato. Well, actually, I should. Maybe I'm speaking too broadly. I don't know who's <laughs> listening right now. Apologies if I offended any potato Americans. No. Well, all Americans
0: are couch potatoes. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not quite the same.
1: So I cannot just stick an electrical probe into you and get voltage. And the reason for that is that you are not particularly acidic.
0: Yes. you. If you stuck an electrode into me, you would get some re-voltage.
1: <laughs> I am not acidic. Okay. That's right. There are acidic parts of you, like your stomach, for instance, is full of acids. Oh. So if you don't mind me sticking a metal probe down into your stomach and leaving it there for a while.
0: For science. For
1: science. I'm <laughs> We could get a little bit of current out of that. Um, but basically, the, the acidic parts of you are not conveniently accessed the way they are for a potato. <laughs> so we've got a couple other options, right? One is that, uh, you carry a little bit of an electrical charge on you. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
0: Even th- that's in my hair, I think.
1: <laughs> well, today it is anyway. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, but I should say that's, that's one way you might notice if, if you crank a big electrical charge onto you, this is the classic way you notice it or your hair begins to, to float. And the, your body can, can hold a bit of charge Uh, and just walking around generally, you have a little bit of charge on you, but that's, it's not a very big amount. Okay. So even if you get like cranked up really high, so your hair is floating and then you touch a doorknob, you get that spark, right? That's pretty cool. Uh You ever had this happen? Right. Yeah. And the spark, so this is an important thing to know about electricity, is when you're thinking about uh, an electrical event, there's two things you need to think about. One is voltage and one is current, okay? So voltage is a measure of sort of how hard the electricity is pushing, and then current is a measure of how many electrons are being pushed, Okay, so you can have a low voltage, high current situation where the electrons are not being pushed very hard, but there's a lot of them. So, for instance, if I if I think of a water metaphor, in a let's say just
0: in a small sink faucet, mm-hmm. you can turn that up all the way, and you're going to get very high voltage. Like very, the water's coming out. It's pushing really force. hard, right. Yeah. But it's only a small amount of water compared to
1: what's going over Niagara Falls. Yeah, that's an excellent way to think about it. So if you think of an, an electrical circuit as a waterfall, the height of the waterfall is the voltage, right? How how fast the water is going to be going by the time it hits the bottom. And then the width of the waterfall is the current, how much is going through, okay? So that if, if that's... Uh, That's a very helpful way to kind of translate it in your head. So a car battery, for instance, has low voltage; it's like twelve volts. That's not very much, but it has a lot of current, so it's quite dangerous. Ah, right.
0: So a lot of electrons come out
1: (laughs) of the, uh... Um, and that's why you should that you should not mess with with car batteries. And current is essentially what does stuff. The the reason your car needs a lot of current is because it has a lot of things to to run. And then you can have the opposite, something that's high voltage, but low current. So the, the, the metaphor there would be a waterfall that's really high, but only, you know, like a mile high, but is only six inches wide. Okay. So that would actually not be very impressive, right? It would be hard to run a water wheel with that. Uh, so the equivalent there would be you shocking your uh, finger on a doorknob. You might actually have a thousand volts in that, in that little spark you get, but the current is tiny and you know it's tiny because it just comes and goes, right? It just vanishes in a fraction of a second. So you can't really run anything off that amount of current kind of like it's like a sneeze yeah that's a good way to think about it yeah and you're done or spit yeah yeah so so humans are not very good at holding electrical energy in that sense that is we can't just kind of hold current in our bodies very well
0: ah holding current
1: which is disappointing which means Um, which
0: would mean storing a lot of but current is also basically the number of electrons.
1: Yeah, that's a good way to think about it.
0: And so we can't store a bunch of extra electrons in us.
1: Right. We are not built well for that. And, um, you know, complain to your manufacturer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There is another option, though. Oh, good. Um, so just, oh, good. Hey, because last... we need these people batteries. <laughs> Over the last couple of centuries, humans have be have become very clever at figuring out ways to strip electrons off of things. Once we discovered that electrons could do cool things like uh, run lights and cook food and display cat videos, we're <laughs> like, all right, we got to find more, all the possible more, ways. We-. More, more, <laughs> right? more. Yeah, so we got, so we tried chemical things. We tried rubbing cats on our heads. <laughs> we've uh, We've got electrical generators per se. And one of the things we found is that you can wherever you have a temperature difference you can get a small amount of current too all right so if you take a hot thing and a cold thing and you run a wire between them you get what's called a thermoelectric current
0: okay because okay. from the the hot it, it tries to it wants to balance out so the hot yep,
1: that's a good way to think about it and so it runs the electric and, and again we just siphon off the electrons as it's trying to to even itself out. So thermoelectric uh, currents are small but steady. Because it's small but steady, um, we don't use them very often. Like you would not encounter thermoelectric generation in your ordinary life very often um, because there's lots of better ways to to generate that electrical current. So it's just not worth the effort usually.
0: Right. And I'm guessing it would be that you need... A greater and greater
1: difference between the hot and cold. That's exactly right. The the um, the bigger the temperature difference, the more electricity you get. So generally, it's um, and this this will come back to bite us in a moment too. It takes energy to set up the temperature difference in the first place, so that's not usually worth that effort. But sometimes you can you can take advantage of it, like if you have some naturally hot place, like, say, um, a lava tube full of lava, you could stick a a probe down into that, and then the other end of the wire is at room temperature, um, and the temperature difference between the lava and the room generates an electrical current. Is that what they're doing, like, in Iceland? It is not, actually. That's an interesting question, because there are thermoelectric power plants, like you say, in, in Iceland and other places. Um, and the fact that they don't do it this way, it tells you how inefficient <laughs> thermoelectricity is. What they do in Iceland is uh, kind of cool and a little terrifying is they take water and they shoot it down into the lava, which then heats up the water to fantastic temperatures. And then they pump the hot water back up and use that to run a steam turbine.
0: Wow, And the water doesn't come up with whatever is boiling
1: inside. It totally does. So it gets um, <laughs> so all kinds of crud gets generated along the way. Um, and then that if you so if you've been to Iceland, if you go to Reykjavik or like if you you do a search for Reykjavik tourist spot, one of the things that will pop up is the famous blue Lagoon. Which is this wonderful spa type place full of, you know, naturally hot water in this this kind of bluish mud um, that's good for your skin. And that bluish mud is actually industrial waste from the thermoelectric plant. <laughs> so it's so funny to I'll I'll send you a picture of myself when I was there. Because it is actually a, a lot of fun, but it's so interesting to see hundreds of tourists swimming around literally in industrial waste. Wow. So that movie, The Blue Lagoon, with Brooke Shields, and some—I can say Brooke Shields was not present. Um, that
0: was not was. a uh, activist, um, eco- no. pro <laughs> ecology movie. It had nothing to do with this.
1: Yeah. So, if um, so, uh, so even in the places where we do use temperature, natural temperature differences to generate electricity, we still don't use thermoelectric systems. It's just not like the the numbers are small. So it's not, worth, it's not worth doing for the most part. Uh, that said, there are some interesting uh, applications where you do use so One of the places you see this is in space probes, actually. Um, and this is going to get a little heady because um, there, there's a bunch of layers going on here. Our audience likes heady, I think. <laughs> right. So um, deep space probes often are powered by plutonium And when people hear space probe powered by plutonium, they think, oh, well, it must be an atomic reactor. And that's not the case because atomic reactors are huge and and far too bulky to, to send up into space. Instead, you're taking advantage of the fact that plutonium is hot because it's radioactive. And then you stick a thermoelectric couple on top of the plutonium and the temperature difference between the plutonium in the outside of the spacecraft, which is, of course, quite cold, generates electricity. There's heat, but there's also, what is it, neutrons coming out of the plutonium? Or? Yeah, that's right. But essentially, we're capturing those neutrons and turning them into heat, neutrons and alpha particles. Yeah, so if you pick up a chunk of plutonium, and I'd say, if you have a chunk of plutonium at home, do not pick it up. Do not put it in your mouth. That's becoming <laughs> the refrain for this episode. <laughs> But if you did, uh, it would be warm to the touch. One of the, the first scientists in, uh, in the Manhattan Project who, who handled like one of the first chunks of plutonium ever said it felt like a rabbit. It had like that level of heat Whoa. to it when you held it in your hand. Then did he get burned? Uh, he did not. So you can hold plutonium in your hand. Uh, don't. <laughs> right. <but> you could. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you hold it in your hand, it's just warm to the touch. It'll only that for it to kill you, other things have to happen. Better you drink a can of Red Bull, right? (laughs) If you need that (laughs) energy. That's right. It's it's, it's similar health effect. (laughs) It's not necessarily healthy. So this is useful for things like space probes because a thermoelectric system has no moving parts. Brilliant. So you don't have to worry about it freezing up or breaking or seizing. It's its a very simple system. So it's super reliable and it lasts for a long time. Like thousands of years, maybe. Exactly, right. As long as that plutonium stays hot, it will continue to run. If you're running, if, if you don't need a lot of electricity, that is a lot of current, then it's a good system. And space probes run on tiny amounts of electricity, so.
0: Right, And I guess they are in a as cold an environment, almost as cold as an environment environment as you could have, that must help too, right?
1: Yeah, temperature in outer space gets weird for various reasons. We can do another set on that sometimes. Uh, but yes, you get a good you get a good steady temperature difference, which is what you want. So people, all right. So we we are we so so that is all to say yes. Human beings are warm, right? Not unlike a oh, rabbit. Oh yeah, I
0: see it coming. <laughs>
1: If I stick one end of the probe on some hot part of you, you can select whatever part you like. <laughs> and then I put the other end in say a snowbank. I've got a temperature difference. Oh. And I can run a little electricity off of you. So if you
0: like when you're you're making snow angels or building a snowman or whatever, you're out in the snow, if you uh, took a wire like if on the end of the wire was like a lozenge metal, <laughs> yes. a metal lozenge, you could put it in your mouth and you have this wire coming out of your mouth into the snow, you would get a shock or that was you. It, here's the question. As the, if the, as the elect, electrons are leaving you, do you feel that electricity
1: or is it? You only? would not. Um, uh. Uh, you would feel your, yourself getting cold because you're surrounded by a colder environment, right? Just as always when you're making snow angels. Right. Um, the trick of the thermoelectric system is it's just um, uh, sneaking electrons away in that cooling process. So you wouldn't notice anything different. You would need a second wire that pulls off the first wire. To measure that, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so... You're, so that would give you roughly you know it's a roughly 100 degree Fahrenheit um gap between you and a chunk of ice right just kind of making oh. up some numbers
0: sorry to, i imagine you could wear like a full body suit of metal is that yep. right and you jump mm-hmm. and and w- it, would that have to be a special kind of metal
1: it would yeah so thermoelectric systems again you need special kinds of metals layered up so it would not be cheap and it would not be easy to make um, but you could do such a thing yeah right and what do we know what kind of metal that might be it's usually yeah a layer of a couple of different weird things like zinc and gallium or something like that okay so you've got your zinc and gallium yeah three piece suit on suit yeah and that's generating a little bit of electricity Yeah. so that's cool so remember we're the the villainous machines right and yes. we want to run ourselves off of these off of people yes so fortunately there's you know a few billion, people out there. So even if we're not getting a whole lot of electricity off of individual ones, we might be able to strap them together and create a bigger power source. How much power are we getting
0: out of one person?
1: Um, we are getting not very much. So right. my guess would be, I, I have not done this experiment <laughs> um, for obvious reasons, Yeah. Uh, but my guess would be we're probably getting um, milliamps. From a person, right. um, which is, like I said, is not a whole lot. So ten, maybe ten milliamps. Yeah, something like that, that order of magnitude. We we say yeah. Ten milliamps.
0: What could that run? Well, an LED maybe. An LED,
1: yeah, LED is about right. But presumably, if we're uh, if we're malevolent robots, we need more than just an LED. Um, so we we as the robot civilization are going to hit a population cap really fast, because there's only so many of us that we can run off of these. So my back of the envelope calculation is you probably need um, a million people to run one reasonable robot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and how how much energy does that robot need?
1: How much you? Um, well, I see. I'm guessing a robot is going to need. At least kilowatts, right? Um, And that's uh, it. Takes a lot, a lot of people to to add up to that. So, for instance, New York City—the population of New York City could probably run like half a dozen, maybe ten robots. And how how big are these robots? Well, judging from the movies, they're like car-sized robots, maybe truck-sized. Wow. So, okay, the entire
0: uh, population of New York. Upwards of eight million entire metropolitan area, maybe 12
1: strapped into these batteries, Uh, all strapped into batteries running six robot taxis, (laughs) (laughs) um, which is not very much. So we may not have created um, a particularly impressive robot civilization using this scheme. Right. Uh, and unfortunately there is uh, a much bigger problem with our scheme as well which which we pr- which we should have thought about given that we are <laughs> malevolent <laughs> robots um, and that is we have to feed the humans ah right so the humans maintain that, remember our system relies on the fact that humans are hot right. taking us back to Brad Pitt again right? Right. <laughs> oh do. <good. laughs> <laughs> Uh, and in order for humans to stay hot, they need food, right? Otherwise they die and they're not hot anymore. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So we need to grow enough food to keep the humans alive, to generate the electricity that we need. Okay. Wow. Um, and it turns out that sort of in, because we're robots, we don't really think in terms of food. We think in terms of energy, right. that is the humans need a certain amount of energy input, Right. In order to produce the energy output that we need, like we shovel coal into a something where it's going to burn. If it, yep. This is like they're going to shovel food into people, so they exactly will burn. right. <laughs> we'll shovel Rice Krispies into them, <laughs> uh, and Death,
0: crackle pop.
1: That's right. So the it takes energy to make the Rice Krispies, um, so to, at each stage of this transformation. Processes so the Rice Krispies then come from rice, right? And where do the rice uh, rice plants get their energy from the sun? Okay. Wow. So we've got what's called a, in, in technical terms, a trophic chain, um, what we used to call food chains, uh, which is that at each stage, so the the sun generates a certain amount of energy, and then plants capture a certain amount of that energy, and then uh, the a certain and then some subset of that plant energy gets turned into food and some subset of that food energy gets turned into metabolism for the humans. And then some subset of that metabolic energy gets turned into heat. uh, And then some, some subset of that heat gets turned into electricity, which is what the robots actually need. Wow. So, so we, the robots are at the bottom of, you know, half a dozen layers of waste, Right, we waste. It's a, Each of those layers wastes energy. Um, this is really what the second law of thermodynamics is about: is that each each, la- each time you transform energy from one form to another, you lose a chunk of it. Um, and it turns out that um, organic things, things like plants and uh, animals and humans, are really not very good power converters. We waste enormous amounts of energy, uh-huh. so. The the robot who sits down and does the calculation and realizes that they're getting one one millionth of the solar energy that actually arrives on the surface of the planet is be like, geez, this is totally <laughs> worthless. Right? This is this is a huge waste. Let's take all of the rice fields that we've been using to grow food to power our humans and just turn them into solar panels. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right, uh, And suddenly we go from six robots to hundreds of thousands of robots, which is much more reasonable. Uh-huh.
0: Now, but, but just, just uh, at least solar panels right
1: now are still highly inefficient. Is that right? That's right. Um, they are not very good, but they are still better uh, by many factors of 10 uh, than filtering than going through the whole plant to food to human to heat to electricity process. Right, okay. right. It's almost always the case that the more steps of energy transformation you have, the worse it is. You really want things to go. And this actually, this is one of the reasons, um, that eventually solar panels will have to save us. So right now, um, the electricity being used, um, to power Skype, to let us talk to each other right now goes, um, sun plant 60 million years ago, (laughs) uh, that plant decays into oil. Oil gets pumped out. Oil gets carried to a refinery, refined down into some small amount, carried again to another place, put into a power generating engine which then becomes hot and that heat then turns a turbine which generates electricity and that electricity comes to our house and runs Skype and there's a loss at every single one of those stages but if you had a solar panel that just connected right to your computer to run Skype right. then even if it's much less efficient you're you're not losing nearly as much energy at each step
0: right wow so eventually <laughs> that was almost our a song there. That was beautiful. Like the <laughs> leg bone connected yeah, the to the But right? right. yeah. <laughs> so if we had only set up solar panels 60 million years ago, we would be in excellent shape. Right. Or yeah. you could say, I guess, in a way that that those that fossil fuel that's under the ground is
1: kind of a battery from 60 million years ago. That is an excellent way to think about That's it. That's not too is bad. Is that essentially the, the oil that we pump out of the ground yeah. is millions of years of plants accumulating solar energy and then conveniently compressing themselves yeah. into easily pumped form. Okay, um, And it's sometimes pointed out that, again, the deep problem with our civilization is we're taking millions of years of energy reserves and burning them up in decades. Oh, right. Right. That's a recipe for disaster right there. Because uh-huh, it'll run out. Exactly, right? Because right. to to wait for the uh, the oil to replenish, right. we would have to just like go have a halt to industrial civilization for another 50 million years, and right. that's not a good idea. Right?
0: And the exhaust from all that energy, all that burning of that stuff, is heating up the planet, which will make us extinct, which will be, we will then decay and form some minuscule amount of oil for some future...
1: Yeah, that's right, for some future civilization. Yeah. yeah. And then they go through the whole cycle again. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we as the malevolent robots have made a poor choice. Uh, <laughs> that is, humans are not a good way to energize our civilization. Well, as they say, you know, criminals are often not brilliant. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Just because they're criminals doesn't mean they are masterminds. Just because yep. they're robots doesn't mean
1: they're yeah. masterminds. And so I think really what it comes down to, if we want to, um, if we just want to torture humans, it's a great system. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's um, actually productive. And it, I mean, yeah. Put and, them to and work. that may be the case, right? We yeah. just want revenge for whatever it is they did to us. Yeah. Um, but, you know, all the times that they made us play World of Warcraft or whatever, and they kept beating us, right? And we're like, okay, finally. Right, well, we were their slaves, so we turned
0: them into slaves. I mean, that just makes sense. That just makes sense.
1: So it doesn't make, so our scheme doesn't make sense in energetic terms, but it might make sense in emotional terms, Right, right. Hey, we would get fair. to inflict suffering on the humans. <laughs> right. so I guess that's kind of cool. Now,
0: in the Matrix, is there some sense of like, are they
1: using our minds
0: in some way? Our collectors? well, I
1: should say this. This is an interesting. So, uh, legend has it yeah. that early drafts of the scripts for the Matrix um, had the robots using us not for power in the way that we've been talking about, but rather for computing power yeah. in our brains. Yeah. That is, our brains are pretty good computers. Um, so the machines uh, used our brains uh, as cheap computing, right? And that makes a little more sense um, because we, our our brains are have you know are the result of billions of years of evolution for processing information, um, and and they grow on their own, right? You just feed them Rice Krispies. And the brain gets bigger, so that's pretty cool, right? So you you could imagine that um, our brains are better at processing something than uh, processing certain things than silicon-based computers would be. Um, And I should say I find that a much both both a more scientifically compelling idea and also a whole lot creepier too. As far
0: as the the alien or the robot is concerned, the full human body is merely like one of those annoying plastic wrappers that you, when you buy <laughs> yes. something, like you used to buy CDs and now you buy, you know, electronics where you just in trying to rip it apart, if you're not using scissors, like you should, uh, but uh, you cut your hand, and it's like hard to open and they just throw all that. It's like this, this annoying waste. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing like the beautiful Apple packaging, you know, it's just like a, <laughs> the worst gooey, crunchy, and they just want to yeah. get the brain. They rip the brain yeah, out.
1: Yeah, so you're, we as the robots, our best choice is probably to cut off everybody's limbs right. because we don't want the humans running around, right? We just we, And we just need the parts <laughs> of the body that keep the brain running. Um, so I suspect we might end up more like heads in a vat. Exactly, exactly. Right. Classic
0: trope, uh, yep. which means it's probably true. Uh, it, <laughs> that's been my experience. It just makes yeah. sense, yeah. And you'd be doing—it's basically distributed computing. So it's like if, if anyone who's ever run SETI at home, <laughs> any mm-hmm. of these research projects where uh, you can leave your while you're while you're not using your computer, it's actually running. It's analyzing some data, and by having millions of computers doing that, yeah, instead just your brain could could be contributing to that. Um, well, that's fantastic. There's a lot of ifs that just popped out of here, actually, for future future uh, shows one of them being it reminds me of how in the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy another major spoiler alert the entire earth is a computer to to Ah, calculate the meaning of life so Mm -hmm. it would be fun to do another one which is how if you had the entire earth how would you turn that into a computer
1: yeah we can do that that'd be good fun
0: something to do with the mice i I remember it was part of something to do with the mice yes Good stuff. Wow, this was amazing. I I am now going to, uh, next time I see a group of people, I'm going to think, how can I get electricity out of them? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, a stadium, yeah, just imagine if you're at, next time you're at a football game or baseball or whatever, you're inside a basketball, you're in a giant stadium, imagine all the electricity, which is actually not very much. How many LEDs? could you get
1: uh oh um from the people in a stadium i don't know probably probably not enough to run the lights of the stadium
0: right or maybe it's like one led per person yeah (laughs) something like that right yeah which is unimpressive so a uh um, an hd tv or even just a a regular 2k tv is uh millions of leds i believe um so you would need millions of people just to run one
1: Television. yeah so the, the the general trade-off with generating electrical power is um amount versus efficiency so ah. thermoelectric generators don't produce very much electricity but they're super steady um and will last for a really long time but if you want to do something impressive with electricity you want a whole lot of it right now yes right right okay. um, yep. and and yep. usually the price of that is um you waste a whole lot of energy in the process of gathering it all in one place. Right. Haste makes waste. Yep. That's right. And we as a civilization have decided we really like having lots of energy in one place. So we have this enormous infrastructure of of generating electrical energy. Um, but the price of that is we waste enormous amounts. And as you say, there are side effects to that. Um, yeah. Things like uh, pollution and climate change. Those are all side effects of us wanting lots of energy packed into one place right
0: just like those people sw- which one of whom was you swimming in relaxing in the blue lagoon mm-hmm. eventually yep. we all end up swimming in our own waste <laughs> that's the less that's the moral of the story today what what the waste Wow! Again, thank you. This was this was amazing. If you haven't seen the Matrix, I haven't seen it in a while. I'm going to go back and watch it now with this new. But I'm going to root root for the robots.
1: Yeah, you know, go for it and see take how a, that goes. Take yeah, a, and then I should say, actually, as you say, in the sequels, we get to meet some of the robots um, in a different way and, and get maybe some some more sympathy for them. Oh, I um, didn't. I did not remember the sequels that well. Interesting. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, they're all they're all anthropomorphized. Um, Uh, in the movie but we are essentially meeting those uh, members of that civilization yeah
0: so uh that was a little bit of backstory a little origin story a little bit of the uh tech underneath the matrix should you choose to build your own i want to thank deeply robin miller creator of mist genius all around for his very insightful and now i am a little skeptical of his motives but his question that led to this if you know so so robin creator of wow you know it's just all coming together he created a video game Uh many video games actually and uh um he's looking to turn people into energy to run kind of a video game
1: yeah, that's getting a little suspicious, I have to say. Thank
0: you very much, Robin. And and uh, you are going to receive a finger puppet uh, of a famous scientist or science fiction character from the Unemployed Philosophers Guild, those folks at philosophersguild.com. And uh, remember, make a mental note if you are a fan of Mist. We have a wonderful fundraising Kickstarter coming up for an incredible documentary as I, mm. I... Across the streams here of what the if and my documentary filmmaking career thank you Robin uh, next week who knows who knows what will happen although I do know actually next week we have another fabulous guest it will be a surprise but I'm very excited about this uh, about them coming um, to the show and uh, go to our website if you want to find out more insane post-apocalyptic pre-apocalyptic Apocalypse causing ideas we have ever done. We've done uh, more than a hundred, many more than a hundred of them. Whattheif.com, listen to all the episodes. You can subscribe there. You can also, whatever you're listening to now, uh, I'm sure has a way to, you can subscribe to us if you haven't already, just right within that app. But uh, if you're not sure, just go to com and click subscribe. I encourage you also to contact us. Say hello. What are you thinking? Um, do you volunteer to be a battery for the what the if <laughs> don't don't do that uh, uh, sign up you just go to the website whattheif.com click contact or you can just email us directly feedback at whattheif.com which um, a lot of you it seems like people prefer to go to the website actually so we, we get a lot of comments from there so keep those coming send us your ideas for future what the if shows or just your thoughts or comments etc funny stories that happened to you when your hair was standing on end uh follow <laughs> us on twitter at what the if show on twitter uh and please leave us a review on whatever we really uh, really would appreciate it. if you could leave us a review um five stars is usually the uh the big amount on uh, all the different services so whatever app you're using Um, And if you don't know, if you want to leave a review, and some people have done this, if if you want to leave a review and you just don't know how to do it, send me an email and I will help you out. Next week, whatever milliamps we have available to power our Rice Krispie fed brains uh, will come up with some kind of if some kind of train tra- train uh, already I knew, more rice krispies battery number two is going down <laughs> we don't know what it's going to be and when we think
1: about it how do we feel when we ponder what's coming our way horrified uh, afraid that I will be um, captured and turned into an extremely inefficient battery <laughs> and so pondering the horror of us not just being used for electricity,
0: but the 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 humiliation of being used in an insanely inefficient way. We cannot help but scream
1: What the F- 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 F-